I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Sarah Suckamarin, awesome, founder and CEO of Lilith New York City. And if you do not know about this brand, or maybe you have seen her beautiful photography uh, that she has uh, with plenty of very uh, cool and very inclusive models as well as a part of it, um, you definitely need to check it out because it is absolutely beautiful. So again, this is Lilith New York City, a very cool and comfortable brand that is aiming to overhaul the women's streetwear industry. So they've started out with incredible shoes that are so cool and cute and comfortable, but also uh, they have just gone into a few other categories. I noticed when I was on their website last night. So I cannot even wait to talk to Sarah about where she got this idea from, uh, all about the design and really the brand champions women and femmes to explore and express their style, gender, sexuality across the spectrum is definitely sort of the ethos of the brand. But there's so much more that I want you to hear about. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, Kara. Thank you so much for having me today. Super, super excited. So before we get into hearing all about your incredible brand and the great products that you've developed, uh, I'd love to hear about you and what were you doing before you decided to launch your own company? Sure. So yes, my path definitely has not been linear. My background is actually in tech. So I uh, you know, went to business school, graduated, and then ended up in the world of startups in New York in particular really focused on just building SaaS-based software analytics is kind of just, you know, what I've learned along the job. Didn't study computer science, learned kind of how to code on the job, working with engineers. Um, In my last role, I was actually director of product at Nike. um, But getting there, you know, wasn't really from my passion of, of, of sneakers. It was actually my love of data and having worked at some of these startups over the past 10, 13 years. Um, So yeah, definitely not linear for someone who's working in footwear now. I love it. Well, I think the best entrepreneurs actually uh, come from different industries. And like you said, it's not always linear. In fact, most of the time it isn't. Right. Um, but obviously, uh, this was a definitely a um, sort of a journey in the making um, as you started to go through uh, your path and your early years. Um, very, very inspiring for sure. So uh, you are the founder and CEO of Lilith New York City. How would you describe the brand to others uh, who aren't familiar with it? The way I describe it is just a global luxury footwear brand for women and femmes that is incredibly size inclusive. You know, I started this brand as someone who was sneaker obsessed as a child growing up in Queens, um, bit of a tomboy, very interested in um, kind of the basketball silhouettes, right? This is the early 90s when the NBA was kind of in its prime and 
players had their own signature silhouettes and I was just needed to have them at the time. And so growing up in Queens, growing up in New York, you know, sneaker culture is so, you know, pervasive. It's it's kind of core to who we are. Um, but growing up, I just realized I was always having to shop in the men's or the children's section and the boys in particular. Um, in my late 20s, I realized, you know, why am I doing this? I'm a grown woman. Um, there should be product available to us, whether it's from a size perspective, just high quality materials being used. And, you know, time and time again, I would have conversations with girlfriends and, you know, we would be like, why are we shopping in in the men's section, in the boys section, where oftentimes because the reason is because women's version is simply a takedown, right? They use cheaper materials, stripped down performance tooling, and um, they simply don't create the footwear for women in particular. It's actually just a copycat of a, a male silhouette. And so um, that was really kind of the motivation behind the brand and, you know, how I kind of describe and, you know, why we why we exist today. So you had worked in analytics, um, such a great background for being an entrepreneur and actually figuring out what's working, what isn't working, um, truly understanding measurements uh, for sure. And then you went into Nike, which absolutely is, I'm sure, great training to ultimately go and start your own thing. What did you see was was missing out there? Uh, was it more about paying attention to to women and size and colors and all of that? Was it storytelling to inspire the consumer? I mean, what were you kind of seeing was like sort of the core thing that you felt, I guess, fearless enough to go and start your own brand because people were not covering this area? Right. So I think as a, uh, as a consumer myself, I had my own kind of preconceived notions of what was not right in in the market. But I think to give a little bit of context, folks need to realize that the footwear industry as a whole, right, Nike, Adidas, all these large brands, they really started out focused on the male athlete, the male consumer 40, 50 years ago. And it's only been, you know, and they've also operated in the wholesale business. So with that being said, that means that they truly don't understand their consumers one-to-one. It's only been in the last five, six, seven years that they've announced their consumer direct strategy, right? Selling direct to people like Sarah, people like Kara, um, and understanding what those consumers want from them because they've relied on middlemen, whether it's a foot action, athlete's foot, foot locker, to sell their product to consumers. So there's been always... How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. 
Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. It's been kind of a disconnect in terms of data. And the last, you know, five, six years, they've been hyper-focused on selling direct, kind of moving away from wholesale production, right? They've cut off tons of wholesale accounts in the last few years to learn better about their consumers. But I think 
for consumers as women, we realize that the industry as a whole has always been hyper focused on the male consumer when it comes from when it comes to sportswear and footwear. Um, when it comes to ads, so for me, you know, I had this idea to start a brand, but it was more than just fixing product. It was how do we also address the marketing campaigns? How do we change the way ads are done? How do we change the way editorial is? Because historically, I've always viewed women's footwear as kind of something you show up on the basketball court, right? Still kind of perpetuating the tropes of having to be a tomboy, um, that women don't contain multitudes, that we're kind of very one dimensional. And, and when we wear footwear, whereas, you know, as I grew grew into my 20s, becoming a little more feminine, moving away from my tomboy aesthetic, I realized I love wearing dresses with my sneakers. I love wearing maxi dresses. And there's there was a ton of women around me who felt the same way, but we never saw ourselves in the brands that we were wearing. So when I kind of had this idea stirring in me, I was like, okay, this is more than just having size inclusive product, high quality product. It's also how are we communicating and building a platform for women globally um, to see themselves in a brand? Because historically, the I just felt the brands haven't shown up for women in that way. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like you said, too, there's there are situations where you might not want to be wearing heels, right. right? And you want something cute enough that is not your your sneakers that you would wear on the subway and throw in your bag. Right? 100%. <laughs> the feedback I got from women was, I want the comfort of an Asics and Brooks that I can wear at daytime during work and then grabbing drinks with my girlfriends in the evening. So I kind of took that yeah. feedback and ran with it. I love it. So who do you think your how many pairs of shoes, tennis shoes does your consumer have, do you think? I think for for me, I think it's a lot, actually. Um, you know, women have I'm I'm guilty of having a lot of heels and sneakers. Personally, I've moved more towards sneakers in the last few years, just, you know, post covid being more casual working from home. Um, I would say. 50 pairs is kind of like a baseline, if I'm being honest, I think a That's lot incredible. of women save them in their in their boxes pull them out when they have a special event, special occasion. And that goes for both sneakers and and high heels. So that's where Lilith, New York City comes in uh, for sure. And can you walk me through the design process and how you thought about this too? You have this incredible, like the black Velcro on the side. I mean, it's just everything about them just is so cool and so cute and uh, useful as well. But I'd love to kind of hear you how you thought about this. So there were three, I would say, primary things that we were focused on addressing because at the time of starting the company and even a few years prior, um, women in particular were very vocal about size inclusivity or the lack of size inclusivity. So I wanted to make sure that we had a, what's called a full size run. So we have 20 sizes. We started a U.S. women's five to a 14 and a half, all half sizes included. So that meant having a last available. So a last is kind of the device that we use to, to make every shoe. So making sure we had lasts in every size when we're in production. The second thing was that women were paying attention. I think historically brands have assumed that women don't pay attention to materials, maybe just colors, just aesthetics. And, you know, women were saying, hey, like this is super cheap. This is a synthetic plastic that's being put on my shoe. It's fallen off. So we really wanted to index on premium leathers. Um, so we use pebbled leather, new bucks, suede, um, things that are definitely considered luxury. But we felt that we could definitely provide women with um, an affordable, more affordable version than some some of the stuff on the market. And then lastly, and I think more important, most importantly, is the performance outsole tooling. So even when I was growing up in the women's version of a shoe, the airbag was missing, right? Because they just felt like they would use the most the cheapest version um, 
four women thought we weren't paying attention. Again, going back to being focused on male consumers. Um, so I actually use a outsole tooling from a company called Vibram, and it's an Italian-based company. You know, it's the yellow logo. They make the five-finger shoes that everyone's familiar with. And historically, when I when I show men and women the brand logo, men immediately recognize it. Off the bat, they like, oh yeah, I have a few shoes that use this. Women, it's brand new to them. So what I always say is I want to introduce women to the level of performance that men have enjoyed for decades. Um, because when you put when you put the shoes on, they're incredibly comfortable. You feel like you're walking on clouds. And it beca- it's because the outsole is actually a high abrasion EVA outsole. It's incredibly lightweight, um, just provides so much cushioning for your feet. And I always say women spend more time on their feet than men, right? We're running around, running errands, picking up our kids, you know, running back home, make dinner. Like we need comfortable shoes. And I think historically the industry hasn't provided that support, which of course has long-term effects on our health and our knees. Um, and so those, I would say, is kind of like what I started the design process off with. Those kind of three pillars. I didn't want to compromise on that because everyone was saying it was impossible. I was like, I think we can try this. So then I had brought on a footwear development design team in 2020. So I quit my job not knowing COVID was around the co- around the corner in March of 2020. Brought on two footwear designers and a brand agency because I, I felt like I couldn't invest just in product. I had to also invest in kind of a brand ecosystem, a brand ethos to really marry that together to bring it to market. So all of 2020, we worked from home, worked remotely, worked on the designs, wanted to start off with a, a low top silhouette in te- like selfishly. So I'm five, three. And sometimes when I wear high top silhouettes, I feel like the proportions, I just look a lot more shorter uh-huh. and just working through it, you know, back and forth with our designers over Zoom, getting samples made with at the time we were in China for production. Um, and that had so many issues just with that, just during COVID um, production delay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how we we kind of kicked off the design process, just like just going back and forth with samples, getting feedback. So I know that as a founder uh, and as an entrepreneur, we don't always get credit for the hard things. I always use this as my example. I remember when I first was starting Hint that I wanted to create a product that didn't have preservatives in it. And all of the manufacturers said that's impossible. And uh, your point about using that is like fuel, right? right? Uh, that I just kept saying, well, could it be that they just have never thought about right. it and they haven't tried different things? And and so we ultimately figured out how to create a product using real fruit with no preservatives in it. Um, and I was really proud of about that. But it wasn't something that I was going to go and share with all of the consumers because right. I wanted them to focus on other things. And and that was kind of complicated. I wasn't afraid to talk about it, but it wasn't sort of front and center. Um, but it's something that anyone who, who has worked at Hint knows that I, it was uh, something that I was really, really proud of, especially when it first happened. So is there anything that you feel like you've done internally that uh, and you have done with your team that was just hard and everybody said, oh, you can't do that? I think it was so uh, we moved production just last year over to Portugal. And I think I think it's the finances. I don't talk about how I bootstrap this company. And I think consumers don't realize how expensive like footwear is very capital intensive. It is expensive to make. It's expensive to just convince people to have a lower MOQ for you. China just simply doesn't make it affordable for small brands to operate. Right. They want the large 10,000 unit orders. So I think that's what folks don't see. It's the behind the scenes negotiations, try to make it work, get the MOQs in order, 
from every supplier, right? Because we have MOQs from the leather component level. We have it from the outsole component. It's not just like one factory does it all. There's literally so many moving pieces that need to work in tandem to get it out the door. And I don't think our consumers see any of that that happens behind the scenes. They just see the finished product land on our website and it's ready to go. But there's, I can't even, thousands of WhatsApp messages, emails, just, you know, keeping track of things logistically from a global supply chain side. That's amazing. And you bootstrapped it as well, which, you know, again, is something that I think, uh, you know, there's so many incredible entrepreneurs that you don't have that kind of messaging right. Uh, available, right, to the consumer. But it's something that part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was to share more about how people did it, okay. because there were many points along the way where um, I'm sure you thought, I don't know. I mean, I hope we're going to try, right. but we, you know, we're not sure. Oh, every day I, I go through a roller coaster of emotions of like, you know, why did I do this? Why did I leave my comfortable job? Um, yeah. Why did I leave a good paycheck? <laughs> Those thoughts cross my mind all the time. Do you have a network of other entrepreneurs that kind of feed you uh, when you're having those down days? Yes. And I, I I tell everyone who wants to be a founder, like, that's what you need to keep going. Because I have a network of great women founders in particular who are all building in different spaces. But um, actually, during COVID, for the past two years, we had like a regular monthly, if not biweekly touch base where we helped each other, like whether it's helping each other find angel investors, investors, VCs, um, brainstorming, like marketing strategies, like we did that. Like, and I think that support system is so needed um, because otherwise it's such a lonely journey. Like being a founder is incredibly lonely. No one understands it unless you've actually been in the trenches yourself. So I think surrounding yourself with folks who are in it, right, who could roll up their sleeves and, and understand the work um, is what's going to get you through it. So how have you gotten the word out about Lilith NYC? So we, you know, I started organically. I was very kind of adamant about not leaning so much into Facebook ads or paid media because, you know, cost, the cost of customer acquisition has been going up and up year after year. It's so expensive. And especially when you have a footwear brand, like it's just crushing your margins right at that point. So the when we first launched, we, you know, I did a lot of podcasts kind of organically. Friends invited me to their sneaker platform type focused um podcast. We did a bit of seeding, right, to folks who are in the sneaker world, um, folks who were considered influencers, micro-influencers, and that got the word out. They produced gorgeous content for us, tagged us in it. Um, but everything, I would say to date, just this past week, we started launching a, a few bit of ads for a, m- a more recent pop-up. But we, I think it's been just through word of mouth. And we had a little bit of early press um, last year when we launched. Um, some great publications covered us, everything from sneaker world and just kind of lifestyle uh, publications. Um, but it's been organic. And what I've noticed, even from our customer base, it's repeat purchasers, right? So it's everyone who's purchased the first color comes back for the second, third color. So it's kind of growing organically just from our internal network. And I think that's great and, and word of mouth. Um, but I'm hoping, you know, with the pop-ups and sh- doing kind of shared work with other brands, like for example, we have the Nordstrom pop-up for the month of May, um, that'll also just expose us to hopefully just their customer base as well. That's great. So just the month of May, yes. like you're you're going in. Oh, that's great. Yes, that's super excited. Such a great opportunity for sure. That's, that's amazing. Who do you think your consumer is from a age standpoint? You know, this is an interesting one because I think originally I was so focused on what I call the sneakerhead streetwear consumer, probably in their late twenties. Um, but uh-huh. quickly, you know, I'm a data person. I stare at the data. I was finding that women sneakerheads were not purchasing from us. It was actually 
uh, who I consider like the woman luxury consumer who I think is late 30s, um, you know, steady job, high disposable income, likes fashion, enjoys style, likes a bit of stuff that other people don't have. The streetwear consumer is very hype focused. They want what everyone else has on their feet. They want the Nike, the Adidas, the Yeezy. Whereas the luxury consumer is like, wow, this it's, you know, they understand color theory, for example, like they understand architecture and their disciplines kind of intersect in that sense. Um, so our consumer, I would say, is late 30s. And I have a consumer who actually purchased from us who's 74 in, in Ottawa. And she reached out and was complaining about how, you know, other brands have kind of neglected a certain age bracket and um, found them to be incredibly comfortable. So it's it's interesting. Our, especially like my parents' uh, generation, um, a lot of my friends' parents have purchased and find how incredibly comfortable the shoes are. So yeah, it ranges. I would say late 30s and then to like um, mid 60s. What's the hardest thing for you? I, I, you know, I always say to people, it's like it's hard at every stage, mm-hmm. right? There's different points along the way um, that, uh, especially being a, a first-time founder, you're learning all these things. It's like um, it's like you're in a game of uh, uh, what is it? Walk a ball, right? Where you're like sitting here going, you know, you've got like everything's great at Nordstrom's, and then all of a sudden you have an employee who quits, 100%. right? And you have a supplier whose, you know, factory blows up. I don't know. Like, I'm hopefully that never happens, by the way. But, but, you know, all of these things um, come up, and you have to be able to go with the punches and, right. and pick yourself up again. What What is kind of the hardest thing uh, today for you in your stage of growth? I mean, I think it's everything you described because that's very real. I think I got lucky in that I have the startup training, right? Because I came from the startup tech world. So I was kind of, I hate to say it, I kind of thrive in chaos. It, it sounds very sadistic, but this is, this is how I think I've been trained for the last few years working in tech startups. Like we've had, you know, instances go down because like Hurricane Sandy, I had engineers hauling up buckets of diesel to keep our servers running. Like, so I kind of saw all of that mayhem and, and craziness firsthand. So I think I'm a little more able to handle um, every day. But I think it's, you know, what I realized is some things you can control, some things you can't. And just learning that things are out of your control. And it's just um, big, having contingency plans, right? Having backup plans, especially like, for example, China, when we realize very quickly that they fall over, that they don't have a skeleton team running production, if there's a COVID case happening. Just learning to have backup plans, I think, is is for me. Just like planning ahead. Yeah, no, definitely diversifying suppliers uh, too, because exactly. it's. Um, I think so many people in different industries learned that during COVID, um, that you know the world was on a different schedule, right. uh, so than what we wanted it to be. So it's um, it's always uh, a a big challenge um, along the way. What advice would you give aspiring entrepreneurs knowing what you know today about um, building a company? You, I mean, you've touched on some of this, but like, you know, it's it's definitely something new every day. You have right. to roll with the punches. Um, it's, uh, it's probably more expensive than you ever thought it was going to be. Um, and you've, I always tell people that with our product Hint, um, you know, we had to pay for the caps up front and pay for you know, the bottles and the fruit and, you know, and do all like nobody really realizes that. And you have to make sure that you're going to produce something that's going to sell. And maybe there's a certain size that even though you have a few consumers um, that are a certain size, uh, you're going to be out of stock on it pretty quick until you actually figure out that there's more of those consumers. But I'm so curious, like what you would say to that. 
I I would say for me, I think I thought I had to wait to start this company much later. So I actually had this idea in 2015. Um, but Gate had a lot of excuses on my side not to actually, you know, take small steps to start. So I would say the first thing is like, you don't need to quit your full-time job to work on your idea, right? It can absolutely start as a side hustle um, where you can dedicate small time, you know, small amount of hours a week to get that idea off the off the ground and test it, right? Like being able to just test it on the side without putting so much resources in it. Because I think sometimes people are saying, hey, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you got to be all in, right? Quit your job. And I think also a lot of VCs will tell that to, um, and, you know, whether it's women founders, et cetera. But that's such a privilege to be able to, to, to quit your full-time job and work on this, right? Like I was lucky that I had a well-paying job. I had savings that I can then divert to this project. But um, a lot of folks don't have it, right? Don't have that privilege. And so I think taking small steps while you are full-time working, right? As long as there's no uh, conflict of interest, um, being able to do that, I think it's just like those little steps. And then two, like leaning on other founders, like reaching out to people who have been through it, who can give you advice, creating a support system because you're going to need that um, throughout the journey, right? You're going to lose people who think, you know, along the way. But I think kind of creating community, that's going to what that's what keeps you going in the journey because there's going to be incredibly hard days ahead. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So the best advice that you ever got uh, for uh for your business, um, if there's a person or just in general, somebody that said something to you that rings true uh, for you today. So I had a friend who told me this many years ago. She's like, when you follow your intuition, you're always on time. I love that. And I just that stuck with me all the time. And I, I have every every job I've done. It's always been based on intuition. Every decision I make is based on intuition. I know that some people might sound that's woo, but your gut tells you everything, right? Like we know that scientifically that it does, it leads you in certain ways. And so, yeah, I follow your intuition. You're always on time. Like don't compare yourself to others and what other people are doing and accomplishing. Like you have your own timing and your own path and just following that. When you think about uh, your brand, like what impact do you hope it has on on the industry? I always just say feeling inclusive and feeling seen, right? I think I get messages, you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but getting messages from women around the world, different countries, different cultural backgrounds that say, wow, this is the first time I've seen myself in this photography, in this campaign, in this ad. And that was what I set out to do um, because I never felt my, you know, felt seen in some of these, in, in these other brands. And so that's the impact that I hope to see. And I, I think we're already seeing it today. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And everyone uh, needs to get a pair of Lilith, New York City, for or NYC, I should say, uh, when uh, we'll have all the information in the show notes, too. And if you're around the uh, Nordstrom's uh, for the month of May, are you in every Nordstrom's? No, we're going to uh, be in um, Nordstrom NYC, which is the flag flagship location in uh-huh. Columbus Circle on West 50. Amazing. Yeah, the month of May. Amazing. I'll definitely check it out for sure. And uh, thanks so much for all your wisdom and inspiration. I mean, it's you shared a lot. And uh, I know that there's going to be people listening that are really going to be um, excited to to learn more about the product, too. But thank you, Sarah. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much, Kara. Again, lovely chatting with you today. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden 
And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.